Hang on, let's get some volume up. Testing 175329. Ike. Okay. Does that work for you? What, you saying a bunch of numbers? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that what, isn't that what, like, uh, what do they call those people who play, uh, what's, the, what's that sport? It's like, uh, it's this ball that you, it's an oblong shaped ball that you kick around. What is that? You're, you're more of a sports guy than I am. It's American football. Is that not, what it is? Not to be confused with what they call football everywhere else in the world, which is what we and the Americans call soccer. No, nobody cares what they think anywhere else in the world. Come on, especially not if you live south of the border here, right? Whoops, I shouldn't have said that. We're going to have to erase that. Besides, we haven't really started yet, have we? Way to kiss up to our audience, Marcel. <laughs> All right, let's 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 start officially. <laughs> It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. I can't win that game. Tic-tac-toe. Hi, Evan. Hi, Marcel. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing okay. Let me crack open a cold one here. Yeah, we got we 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 got some uh, we got some foot kissing to do right now. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Coke Zero. It's the choice of, wait a minute, no, was it the choice of a new generation or was that Pepsi? I don't remember. That was Pepsi. Oh, was that Pepsi? <laughs> well, that doesn't, neither Pepsi or Coke is well, going to hire me to do their commercials now. Now, this may be apocryphal, but Coke Zero, I believe, was, was created by Coke to balance off the fact that Diet Coke was considered to be a women's drink that they couldn't market to men. Well, I don't know if that's true, but I have to admit, like, I actually have heard that story, but I have to say in all honesty, and I, and I mean this really honestly, I like Coke Zero. In fact, I like it better than regular Coke, and I, like, I sure as hell like it better than Diet Coke. In fact, I drink it not because it's zero calories, but because of all the colas out there. It's the one I like best. We are in absolute agreement on that. Not yeah, on that we got to stop doing this, man. Yeah, I know it's it's bad for ratings. Well, it is. It I don't is. know. I have ratings. <laughs> I don't know. Somewhere we'll look at somebody. You know. Hello, everyone out there. Hello, anyway. everyone out there. If you're out there and you actually listen to us, leave us like a, a review or or leave a message or something. Let us know that we exist or that you exist or something. I don't know. I hope we exist. <laughs> this could all be part of a simulation, you know. But back to the Coke Zero. Oh, yes. uh, that's, Coke Zero is loved in our household as well. Much better, actually a better formulation than Diet Coke. We like it so much that I am desperately trying to find a source of Coke Zero syrup to use with my soda stream. Interesting. So we found a place, but I think that they're starting to give up. And actually finding places that will wholesale Coke Zero, uh, like the ones that sell to restaurants or whatever, they are very, very, very hard-nosed when it comes to somebody off the street wanting to buy it, I think. I don't know if there's a marketing or branding or quality control thing, but a person off the street wanting to buy Coke, Coke, Coke syrup of any kind, uh, it's not easy. I have a sneaky suspicion that there's this pretty heavy protection against that sort of thing. And I'll tell you right now, you know what, would actually, you know what actually makes it like the fizzy water taste a lot like Coke Zero, buying freaking Coke Zero. Oh, I got no complaints. But then again, I have Coke Zero syrup in my house oh. and it works great with my soda stream. Really? It is by, it is by far the best thing. Uh, you know, I got a little squirt tab at the bottom and just fill the thing with fizzy water and it goes from club soda to Coke Zero in no time at all. And it's wonderful. You know, I... I I know we had the discussion about this last time, you know, about the whole soda stream thing, but the more I think about it, the more it's, it's just more work than I, than I'm willing to put into a drink, you know, unless of course it's a drink. Well, yeah, but then again, you get that, that sort of power feeling saying I've injected those bubbles into that water. That thing is now fizzy and lively because of me. You want to know something? I, I, I get my kicks in different ways. <laughs> I just, <laughs> 
we may agree on some things, but yes, but I, I need yeah. I need a little bit more to to charge me to get me going. I, than I, I get yeah, I get my kicks. I get my kicks putting bubbles into water. You get your kicks blowing up imaginary people on a screen. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny you should mention that. I was um, I thought about this. This is I guess this goes hand in hand with the simulation argument. <clears throat> I was thinking about the idea that. There's, there's a game that I like. I mean, there's a lot of games that I like. I like a lot of games. But uh, in VR, the game that I've been playing the most for, the, for several months now is something called In Death Unchained. And it's kind of a weird sort of thing. You're in purgatory. You are a newly dead person in purgatory, a newly dead warrior. And heaven and hell are basically, every, everything is hell there now. Like whatever's happened, if you go into heaven, the buildings are, quarter, are, are all smashed up and ghostly. And the archangel Gabriel or whatever is, is the big boss up there and, and fires, you know, bolts of energy at you. And there are, there are ghosts and demons and like all sorts of interesting things. Anyway, so, and you wander around with either a bow or a crossbow. I happen to like the crossbow. Okay, so I tend to I tend to work with the crossbow. And lately I discovered that on on the lesser demons in particular, and, and on anything actually, but the lesser demons, it works really, really well. You grab your shield and you smack them with the shield and they go down to the floor. So like you hit them really hard with the shield, they fall on their ass, you take the crossbow, you walk right up to them and you put you put a bolt in their head. So there are greater demons and lesser demons? There are. There are most definitely greater demons and lesser demons. Try to follow here. Anyway, so, so I've discovered that you can do that. And what scares me is it's kind of fun to do that. So I'm sitting there thinking, so you knock them down, you let them get back up a little bit, and then you whack them with the shield again so that they, they fall down a second time. And then you walk up to them, and then you just put a bolt from your crossbow into their heads. And is that cruel? I just want to know if that's cruel. Because no, obviously, you're doing, it to, you're doing it to inhuman things. My guess, I mean, most of the games that I've seen, you're 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 going after zombies or you're going after robots or whatever they go out of their way to make sure that the people you're shooting up are, are not are not people are not recognized that way and it makes it easier when you're when you're shooting in humans i mean even through conventional war they go out of their way to say you know the bad guys are are, are less than humans so you're justified in, in well in this case they definitely are less than human because you know they're they're like weird ass well you know, eyeless demons the closest I get to that comes with a Facebook message I saw this morning that basically said, hell is so populated right now by atheist scientists that they probably already set up air conditioning there. <laughs> is that the religimarole uh, uh, Facebook group or something? There's a bunch of them. There's one called the Atheist Comedy Center, and it gets yeah. vicious. You know, I don't know why. I'm, I'm sure it's entirely coincidental, but people keep sending me these things. Like, <laughs> I've sent you one or two, and you've enjoyed it. As, as though they think I'm the appropriate audience for this sort of, you know, making fun of religion thing. Anyway, good to know that I'm not being, you know, I'm, I'm not developing cruelty of some sort because, you know, um, I mean, they are, after all, NPCs in a video game. You know, but if we are actually living in a simulation then they're living in a simulation of our simulation, which means that this simulation is basically launching war against their simulations. And, you know, and every once in a while I think about that, you know, and I, I, I lose sleep over it. I have to be honest. So. You lost me two levels of simulation ago. <laughs> uh, so what have you been doing? Um not a whole lot. I mean, I've been we've been reading up on stuff. I've been fascinated by some of the stuff I've been seeing in on the interwebs. Uh, let's see, what do we got? We got the fight between the University of Minnesota and the entire rest of the Linux community. Uh, oh, come on! This is this has I been know, almost I, okay. Uh, you know what? I'm going to let you take this one, okay? Because. <laughs> So, okay. And obviously I'm not going to have all the facts straight, but I mean, you know where to find it. You just, yes, search, yes. you know, you just search basically, you know, to penguins and gophers and, and that'll lead you to the Linux community versus the university of Minnesota. Uh -huh. I mean, from what I can gather, two researchers at the university of Minnesota said, 
let's inject some hostile malware into the Linux kernel code. And, and let's, let's, let's contribute some deliberately bad code and see what happens and sit back and watch what happens. And we'll write a research paper, a behavioral study of how they're going to, of how they're going to deal with it. Or if you want to be malicious in your intent, they injected something, waited to see that the thing would be ignored and then go, ha ha, Linux is insecure. We put in bad code and they didn't do anything about yeah. it. Guess yeah. what? They did. They found it. That old story about, you know, when, when, uh, when, you know, all, all bugs are shallow when there's enough eyes on the code or I forget yep. exactly what the, the saying you know, was. The reason that this is an amazingly stupid thing from the start, and I'm not, you know, Linux aside here. Okay. It's like the person who says, yeah, I've been breaking into homes in the neighborhood, but I just wanted to show how bad a job the police are doing. It's it's insane. It's like I want to show how bad this is by deliberately causing damage. And this is not the same thing as, um, you know, doing penetration testing and then reporting back to a group or something like this. The idea that you would deliberately do something to see if somebody noticed is just, I, I don't know, it's it's well, that's the, but that's the kindest interpretation. The worst interpretation is that they did something so they could so they could basically uh, uh, complain about Linux and saying it's insecure because they allowed this to happen. Yeah. So there's charitable versions of this, and there's less than charitable versions of this. But, but even the most charitable version still sucks. Um, and so then there's the question of well, did the Linux kernel team overreact when they said, okay, we're yanking out these guys' code. We're yanking out every contribution that we can track down from the University of Minnesota because it's all suspect now. Yeah. And some people were saying, uh, aren't you going too far? They probably put in some good stuff. But when you destroy trust like that, mm -hmm. it's really, really hard to build it back up. There's very few, you know, foundational things more than trust. And that that's the kind of thing that takes ages to build up and a second to destroy. Yeah, and they managed to do it in a fairly short period of time. Again, it kind of boggles my mind that it's a university, for God's sakes. Like, I, I don't get it. Like, yeah. Minnesota hasn't had enough problems lately. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. Oh, well. All right. We brought it up. All right. We brought it up. Since, since you brought up, you know, controversial Linux things, you gave a talk at GTA Lug which I watched a couple of days ago. Would you like to, would you like to bring the audience up on this one? Oh, great, great. So here I am, and I, I perform heresy in front of my local Toronto group, and now you want me to take it to the podcast audience. That's right, I do. Actually, honestly, okay, before you take it to the podcast audience, I just want to say that I personally thought you did a fine job. Just So let me just lay that out on the line here. Go okay. ahead. So that's two of us that thinks this was a good idea. <laughs> I admire so, your bravery. Does that help at all? Okay. So, okay. So in previous episodes, we've talked about the fact that sometimes Windows Linux apps or open source apps run better on Windows than they do on Linux. Very counterintuitive, but I wanted to see for myself. I wanted to demonstrate for myself. And frankly, I was getting tired of my desktop not being able to do things. Too many, too many peripherals didn't work on it. Too many peripherals that were supposed to work under it didn't. So for instance, if you use a Linux desktop and you've been fighting with an NVIDIA driver or something like that, you know, welcome to the club. I for decades have been fighting with Pulse Audio, which is the built-in audio system yeah. that for the longest time insisted that my microphone was actually my speakers. At a certain point, maybe I'm just getting too old for this, but I said, look, for my own desktop, I just want something to work. And a combination of that and the fact that Windows 10 is now sufficiently bug-free, there's no blue screens of death. I've not had a blue screen of death since I've installed. And so this was essentially something we've talked about on a previous episode, but I gave a talk at the Toronto Linux user group, uh, walking into the lion's den and saying, oh, I've reverted. I've, I've put Windows back on my desktop. And um, how do you how do you like that? 
but uh, it went to the rationale of why I did it and some of my experiences in doing it. And I'm, I'm not sorry I've done it because Linux still rules the rest of the world. It runs mobile space. If you've got an Android or an iPhone, you're using open source operating systems as, as, as the underpinning. You're sending an email if you're surfing the internet, if you're using a website. Right. Anything you're doing in the cloud is running on a Linux server. So at the very low end, whether it's embedded devices or the very fastest supercomputers, darn near everything in the world is still running Linux. Uh, So, you know, and so if the one piece of this, but the highly visible piece is the productivity desktop that people have on their work on in their workplaces, you know, I'm forever hearing this is the year of the Linux desktop. I'm now convinced the year of the Linux desktop is never. That ship has sailed. Uh, Linux accounts for, has never accounted for more than 4% of the marketplace worldwide for the Linux desktop, is now hovering about one8 So if you are a maker of a peripheral and you need to make drivers for it, are you going to support the nine, the 98.2% of the marketplace that is Macs and PCs, how much of that are you going to devote to that 1.8? And so in a matter of pure economics, I bought myself a really, really nice scanner. That scanner does OCR, and it's one of those ones where it takes a picture of an open book, and you flip the page, click with the foot pedal. Oh, turn the page, click, turn the page, click, turn yeah. the page, click. And it combine that with OCR, and you can effectively scan uh, a dead tree book in a matter of minutes. And which, it's a- which is which is an interesting. I mean, it's an interesting thing, and I I I think the technology is very cool. It's nothing I would ever do because. <laughs> but it's very nice, and I've seen big, I've seen big wooden rigs that have two cameras pointing at the yep. opposite pages and things like that. Yep. They're big and cumbersome, and they cost thousands of dollars. This was a fraction of it, bought on Kickstarter. It works nicely. We'll never have drivers for Linux. Yeah, of course not. And, you know, <laughs> when you talk about the economies of this, it's not even always a question of is it worthwhile from an economic perspective, but just if you happen to be, I mean, when people talk about, you know, economic perspective that way, they're usually talking about the company. Should the company invest in that? Well, often it's, you know, the company is like one or two people. And for one or two people to have any kind of hope whatsoever of making money off whatever it is they're doing, and let's make let's face it, I mean we, we got to make money, right? It's you know un, until until the world uh, you know adopts uh, UBI and you know uh, alternative monetary policies, we all still have to make money. And if you're only making a little bit from something that you're doing, I, I think you described there's a labor of love this project you're going to have to go after the biggest possible audience, you know, and hope for the best. And it's not just that. I mean, driver development isn't trivial. Most people cannot write, cannot write hardware drivers. They're tricky to do. And if you get it wrong, you can crash the hardware. So, uh, I mean, this is something that takes highly skilled, you know, highly skilled people. And so, it's already enough that you've got to figure out drivers for two environments, for PCs and Mac. But between them, you have the lion's share of the, of, of the marketplace out there. How much resources are you going to spend on this highly skilled talent of being able to write a driver for that 1.8%? Yep. And, and the, the economics and the availability of talent just doesn't bear out the fact there's going to be a lot of stuff that uh, from the Linux community and they say, well, you just sacrifice it. You know, I gave the presentation. One person came back and said, well, I don't need this. So, hell, that's enough for me. Yes. And, and that and that's always a problem. It's like, well, it works for me. Well, it works for you because you've managed to get it to a point where you've got something that you're willing to settle for. And I mean, let's face it, you and I are both like, you know, you know, long term Linux open source heads. So it's not like it's not like we, uh, as you like to put it, have drunk the Kool-Aid on this one. Or what did you say? Drunk the, the, the raw crystals or something or eaten the raw crystals? Yeah, we've gone, we've gone beyond drinking the, raw, drinking the Kool-Aid. We're just emptying the packets into our yeah, mouth. But I mean, I still, I still use open source software whenever possible, wherever it makes sense. And as, uh, as do I. The servers in my house, I never move away from, from Linux. 
I'm still my, you know, the computer I use most often is my Android phone. That's running Linux. Yeah, uh, well, yes. And, but the purists, of course, are going to smack you down for that one as well, because, you know, they'll say, well, Android is not Linux. Um, despite the fact run, that it couldn't run without Linux. Well, obviously, <laughs> obviously, I mean, you, I, I don't, you know, I, you don't, you don't have to argue that one with me, but uh, there are, like I said, the purists are never going to be happy unless you're running. Everything is, you know, totally free software. You're not using anything that's commercial in any way, shape or form. It's got to be all open source licenses. And of course, it has to be something like a GPL3 open source license. It can't be something like MIT or Apache. It, and, and you and I have been around the block about, you know, uh, about philosophical purity and things like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're, I don't even want to talk about he who shall not be named and all the trials and tribulations. <laughs> no, we're not uh, doing that right now. <laughs> we're, we're definitely not going there. But going to the whole thing of software purity, you know, that it's all or nothing. Either you've yep. totally bought into this or you haven't bought in at all. I totally reject it. Uh, you know, there was an incident some months back where, I think it was the president of Linux Foundation was caught on an airplane yes, using yeah. was using a Mac on yep. on a Mac lap uh, uh, his iMac or whatever uh, I don't know what they're called I don't use Macs but uh, so he was caught red-handed on the plane using a non-Linux desktop and pilloried for it and the thing is yep. he's there he's there to get a job done. And the fact that all of Linux Foundation, all of the companies behind it, IBM, you know, HP, Red Hat, everyone that's involved in Linux right now, most of that money is being done in server space, is being done in support space, is being done in database space. The amount of money anyone's making from Linux desktop is a pittance. Well, let me uh, let me throw something out that's crazy at you here, which is that at some point you say the year of Linux desktop is never going to happen. I keep feeling like as the, as time goes okay. on. Sorry. As you just said that, I'm going to change my mind, but in a very obtuse way. In much the same way that we just talked about that Android can't run without Linux, but no one thinks of Android as a Linux device. Right. I see Windows going there too. That's what I was going to say. That is exactly. So you, you took the words right out of my mouth. Anyway. Uh, but that's that's exactly it. I think that as time goes on, as more and more open source code gets rolled into, you know, what's called Windows these days. And then um, a couple of days ago, we started talking about, I mean, we might as well do this segue right now. We started talking about WSLG. But before we get there, yeah. I just want to note that Microsoft has already pulled the stunt of taking something that once was totally proprietary and then silently shifting it to something that had an open source core that has the Microsoft stuff on top, but couldn't work without the open source core. And that is the Edge browser. Right. Once upon a time, you had Internet Explorer, totally proprietary. First cut of of Microsoft Edge, totally proprietary. What happened? They saw they weren't keeping up with what these open source were doing and, and essentially said, okay, we're going to use the open source component of Chrome, which is Chromium. We're going to build all sorts of Microsoft stuff on top so that it won't resemble Chrome at all, but it's still using those same guts underneath. Exactly. So they've already, yeah, they've already gone down that road. And I think they're increasingly going down that road. The Windows subsystem for Linux is the first thing that really caught my eye on Windows 10, I have to admit. And now, and you know this because I sent you screenshots of this yesterday, there is something called WSLG, which allows graphical... Linux applications, and of course, I'm talking about, you know, from the Linux graphical desktop, Linux graphical applications to run natively on Windows. So you can run like the the GNOME Nautilus browser. I think I showed you and I sent you a picture of KTuberling, which is like Mr. Potato Head in the right. KTuberling desktop, running natively on Windows. And I'm looking forward to running one of my favorite desktop apps that I miss the most, which is the Dolphin File Manager from KDE. Oh, I thought I sent you a picture of me doing that as well. Yeah, but the point I'm making is I dislike almost all the file (laughs) managers that are under Windows. All these things that call themselves something Commander and the native the chips with Windows, none of them can hold their own against the better ones that are in Linux. And the thought of being able to run uh, the Dolphin File Manager as just 
almost looking like a native app on my yeah. window screen is to me almost mind blowing. And it's sort of like the natural progression of this. It, it is. And I find myself using certain command line tools all the time, like Linux command line tools. I will use them. I mean, that, that's what I open instead of opening up, you know, a PowerShell or the Windows shell or something like this. That's that's what I use to do my work. Well, one of my favorite apps now that, that I use on Windows is called ter Windows Terminal. And yes. So in, in separate tabs, you have PowerShell in this tab and you have a Linux shell in this tab. Yes. And and it's it's wonderful because you've got this one terminal, this multi-tab terminal that runs all sorts of different things. In fact, you could run multiple versions of Linux if you wanted to, Ubuntu in one and Fedora in the other, um, which, you know, would get weird, but... <laughs> But but you almost feel right now like this whole thing about uh, about the Windows Windows subsystem for Linux or whatever this whole WSL thing it still all has that sort of transitional feel to it. It well, there's no question. There's no question. But that transitional, I mean, transition is by definition how you get from here to there. Right. And I think I think that we're heading there. We're I on the road. Yeah, we're on the road. I think this is where we're headed, and. Um, you know, and I don't have any objections to doing it. Now, you know that I that I started this experiment, so to speak. Like, I mean, I, I jumped onto a Windows desktop before you did. Yep. And uh, I did it because my kid was playing Roblox and wanted to, you know, wanted me to do Roblox stuff with him. And of course, I couldn't, there's no way to do it under Linux. Absolutely zero way. And then, of course, there were things in VR, virtual reality type things that I couldn't possibly do in there. So I wound up doing it only because... I wanted to take part, you know, to be part of that world. And as it turns out, I coincidentally ran into almost the same kind of challenge. While it wasn't the reason why I switched, about a week or two after I had my Windows desktop installed, I came. I was working on with some partners a, um, a grant proposal for the government of Canada. And oh, so, yes, yes, yes. Right. Yes. And so we're working on these partners and you go to the government of Canada website and then there's these very elaborate forms that have all these kind of data checking things. And have you gone over the words and is this a phone number format and all that kind of thing. And in order to use this form, you cannot use a regular PDF reader. You must use Adobe Acrobat. In fact, you must use Adobe Acrobat DC. You can't use the old versions of Adobe Acrobat. Correct. And, and of course, those old versions, they, they used to have versions that ran under Linux. They had supported versions. But not this one. But not this one. Now, I have to say, I, I, have, uh, I have a longtime customer that I still do work with every once in a while. And they're a publishing house. And they ran into exactly this problem. Their entire publishing operation actually runs on Linux, the whole thing. So I actually spent a fair amount of time recently, about a month ago, figuring out a way to get the very last stable version of Adobe Acrobat DC that could run under Linux using a very, very recent version of Wine. And I was actually able to make it work. Now, I jumped through a lot of hoops to make that happen. And I'm not sure that it would be possible, you know, next time around, whenever next time around happens to be. But is this the kind of thing where like your, your publishing friends, you know, in the in the office are now going to have one Windows box just they, to be able to grapple with that kind of crap? Yeah, they may actually at some point get there, but they they may also retire before this happens. I don't know. It's 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 what you'd call an artisanal publisher. They're wonderful people. I love them dearly. Uh, the Porcupine Squill in Erin, Ontario, like just wonderful people. But uh, and they produce like these. They use like typeset books. I'm serious. Like I mean, it's incredible. And they have like an old printing press, and they and they use um and they use thread bindings and stuff like this. It's just it's amazing. Like this place would blow your mind. You go in there, and it is so clean. You got to remember that this is century old equipment that they've got in there, and you could eat off the floor in this place. Oh boy, it's, are you taking me back? Oh God, it's amazing. Are, are I you, love this place. Are it's you great. taking me back? Had a had a had a, a different path gone in my history, mm -hmm. I would have left Canada and taken a job working at a British newspaper that still worked with hot type. Yeah. 
<laughs> that is, they poured lead into the mold and created the type slabs on yep. the fly as they were producing the newspaper. At the end of the day, melt them back down and start all over again. Well, in this case, they, they they're not quite that they're not <laughs> quite that intense, but they do photographic plates. So they do typeset using photographic plates. So they 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 like negatives. Yeah, you know, that yep. they then you know use. I remember that. I yeah. remember that. Yeah, so that it's, was it's that kind of, offset. It's yeah, it's exactly. It's kind of amazing actually to see the kind of stuff that you know that they're working with there. But of course, it means that even if they were to switch to Windows, okay, and this is where it gets weird. Even if they were to do that, none of it would support this old equipment that they're working with. So, so in this case, it was just a question of how do we communicate. Uh, you know, how do we move information from our database and communicate with the government of Canada, you know, using these forms that now have to use this, you know, recent version of Acrobat. So I well, made it work. I made it work. To me, this is an open government issue. I mean, I agree. This, this is this is something where I mean, they should not be forcing a specific technology solution just to be able to answer a government. Form. Yeah, and, and I thought we went through this actually a few years ago. Like I vaguely recall, because at one, I mean, no, I don't vaguely recall. I do remember this. They had things where it would only work with Internet Explorer. You yeah. know, and at some point it was, well, no, this is ridiculous. You've got to use some kind of open browser format. And what was that thing that they used to have on Internet? Was it ActiveX? Am I right? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it used to be ActiveX, so you could only use, uh, you know, Internet Explorer. So anybody with a Mac, anybody who didn't want to use Internet Explorer was, yeah. you know, in a bind. So and they finally fixed that. But apparently the lessons learned all those years ago have been forgotten by whoever has, you know, replaced them. Well, there was all those other stupid things. You remember there was Real Player, and there was uh, yes. Oh, there was all those stupid formats and things like that. And oh man, those were terrible days. Those were awful days. Every time you communicated with somebody, practically, you know, that involved some kind of media, you had to load a new player or a new codec or something like that. It's like, for God's sakes, people, standards, man, standards. Yeah. Here, take this file. It's .rm. Oh no, I don't uh, know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so yeah and 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 hopefully there's still tools out there that can read it i mean i imagine there's still people out there that have old word perfect and uh you know files and wondering if they're ever going to be able to open them well that actually that was one of those things that uh i i to give a nod to LibreOffice. Uh, that was one of those things that was kind of nice. You could actually open your old WordPerfect files. I know because I did, you know, open my old WordPerfect files with LibreOffice or OpenOffice or something like that. I haven't obviously looked at them in years, but. And I think VLC also can open a whole lot of different file formats. Uh, yeah, VLC is kind of the Swiss Army knife of, uh, of media players. It can do just about anything imaginable. And I discovered, uh, not recently, but I discovered several months back um, it can also uh, stream, so you can you can cast whatever it is that you're viewing on VLC to the rest of the house and pick it up on media players and so forth. Oh wow, I did not know that. I, yeah, I, mean, I, I haven't found a lot of use for that, but when you know, but I had to try it, of course, and it was really cool. I, I, I had the sense you have the sense looking at it that it's capable of doing like eighty times more than most people use it for. But well, and there are a lot of tools like that where you know we don't we don't. We don't make a big deal of all the things it can do because, of course, some of the things it can do are, you know, uh, yeah. patently questionable. <laughs> so we just quietly do all these things and just don't say anything about it, right? Yes. Um, th there was a uh, there was a, an open source uh, media center project, and of course, I, I'm I'm drawing a complete blank on it because I'm not using anything like that these days. But uh, it was built in to handle like any imaginable plugin you could think of. Like it was, it was so flexible that anything that you built for it, you could install in it, which meant that it was able to pick up pirated streams of videos and movies and whatever from like all over the world. And the core development team obviously got in trouble, but they came down really, really hard and said, 
we are not pirates. We are never going to be involved in this sort of stuff. You know, if you use our software, you can't possibly make it work with these plugins. And, uh, you know, and they wrote around that. Of course, the project got forked by a bunch of other people, you know, so that it'll work with, you know, the old plugins yet again. But it, it was interesting that all that stuff existed anyway until, you know, somebody got in trouble. And then at that point, it's like, oh, we never knew this was the case. You know, it's terrible that people are using our software this way. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm taking a course on copyright that's taking me back to some of and some of their test cases are like, you know, Betamax versus uh, Universal Pictures and no, things like that and all, all that old Grokster and Napster and stuff and all that and just revisiting it is painful. You know, I, I did a um, I did this slide presentation. I've done it at a couple of. Uh, conferences and a couple of you know linux fests and stuff like that over the years and it was built on the idea that um you know there's nothing new under the sun and of course i did the on the shoulders of giants thing i should try and dig this up i, I did a i did a little slide deck where i went back like 800 years through different iterations of the only reason i can see further is because i stand on the shoulders of giants isaac newton and then on and on it went, you know, through different iterations over the course of centuries, people saying exactly the same thing. I stand, you know, I see further because I am as a dwarf standing on the shoulders. And the variations in speech obviously changed with the generations and the centuries right. and stuff like that. But it was all exactly the same thing. So we attribute it to Isaac Newton. But he was by no means the first person ever to say that. And the person before him was not the first person and the person before him. <clears throat> and that's one of the things that, and, you know, I mean, as somebody who makes stuff, who writes books, you know, who's right. written articles, I do actually give a shit about copyright. I actually do. I care. I care. I don't want somebody to just rip off what I do, you know, unless I've specifically given permission for that to happen. Right. But, but we have to accept that in most things, whether it's in the stories we tell each other or, you know, more, more pertinent to some of this stuff, software, okay, that all this stuff is built on the work of other people. Nobody came up out of nowhere and invented this shit. Somebody before them did some of the hard work and somebody before them and somebody before mm -hmm. them and so forth. Um, Carl Sagan had an expression, if you wanted to bake an apple pie from scratch, first you need to create the universe, you know, which kind of says it all. It's like nobody builds this stuff in a vacuum and nobody builds this stuff without, at the very least, inspiration from people who came before them. Like truly novel new ideas that have never been seen before that can't be traced to something before. I don't know that these things actually exist. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't have a lot of... Uh... I don't have a lot of patience for the Ayn Rand types that said everything I invented, I invented by myself and my oh, own sweat and brow, and I don't owe anyone else anything. Don't get me started on Ayn Rand. Not today, man. Not today, please. Yeah, I think I think we properly bashed her in previous episodes. Yeah, we probably did. Yeah, and you know what? Ayn Rand should get a good solid bashing whenever possible. At every opportunity. I'm there with you. For, for eternity. So let's not, uh, but let's not spend a lot of time. You know what? I don't think she went to hell because, you know, all the really cool people seem to have gone to hell. So I think right. I put in air conditioning. Remember? I think exactly. I think she's permanently in purgatory, whatever that is. Oh, well. Anyway, changing the oh, subject. Oh, oh, can we go to something completely different? Because I have a great story for you. What, drones on Mars? No, that's cool, but we need to get there. But that's not it. I found the quintessential Canadian story. Quintessential, I tell you. And it is technologically based. In British Columbia, okay? Uh, let me see. Where is it exactly? I've got the story here. Tumblr Ridge, which is a four-hour drive northeast of Prince George with a population of 1,982 people. A beaver chewed through a large fiber optic cable and knocked yeah. out internet access. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's a Canadian story. <laughs> so with all the possible things that could happen to knock out, you know, internet service or knock out your cell phone service. And I don't know if you remember, but last week uh, Rogers had issues with, you know, their data service for their cell phones. 
this was a beaver that chewed through an internet cable. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, I had to- I, we we had we had to talk about this one because like how much more Canadian can you get than that? No, no, that's it. And you know, beavers hate Bell too. Is <laughs> that a Bell cable? Was it really? I don't you know. know. That? Or are you just taking a shot? In my mind, it is. In in my mind, it is. <laughs> you know, I want to take a shot at Bell, and I'm going to pretend that the beavers chew through a Bell cable, even if they didn't. Exactly. Works for me. So helicopters on Mars. Well, no, I said I to me I said drones on Mars because I heard a comedian's routine that said, okay, we've now just added one more place in the universe where you can't go without running into some bloody drones. <laughs> okay, well, that's funny. I agree. <laughs> I agree. And then of course it's like, you know, what's the only planet that's it, that's right next door to the What's the only planet that we know of that's populated entirely by robots? And it's Mars. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what we've done. We've sent robots to Mars. Although, although I'm, I'm pretty sure, I will bet that you know, a few tardigrades got attached to the machinery somewhere, and they're happily reproducing on Mars somewhere. Like, tardigrades, man, I think it's a possibility. Anyway, the helicopter, ingenuity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you weren't quite sure whether you should say something about the tardigrades or not, right? No. <laughs> you know what tardigrades I, I, are, right? You know what tardigrades me. are? Well, I'm not sure I know. So humor me. Oh, they're fantastic. Okay, you got to look up tardigrades. Um, tardigrades are these little, uh, and, and I mean little, 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 they're called water bears. And they are the strangest, like look them up on the internet. Just do it. You don't have to do it right this instant, but do a YouTube search and look up tardigrades. They are the strangest bloody thing. Next to octopuses, they're the weirdest damn thing that the planet has created. And they're virtually indestructible. They will like, they'll just shrivel up, dry up. And then 10,000 years later, you can throw a drop of water and they just come back to life and happily start swimming again. Tardigrades. Freaking amazing. I love those things. They're wonderful. So you figure they would survive the trip in space? Yeah, I think they would survive the trip into space. In fact, somebody actually opened up a can of tardigrades on the moon on purpose. Like they, uh, they sent some tardigrades with one of the lunar landers just recently. I, I don't remember if it was the European one or the Japanese one or the Chinese one. There have been a few, there've been a few uh, you know, um, landers that have gone to the moon lately everybody seems to be sending a lander to the moon right now because they're going they're they, you don't do that kind of thing they're going to evolve and attack us <laughs> well in that case and, and then and then your crossbow skills are going to come in handy well you know i keep saying that actually i am i am getting really really good first of all i i'm i'm really good with guns okay despite the fact that i don't actually have guns in VR, I've gotten really good with guns. So when the undead are attacking in VR, I am really good. I can, you know, I can keep those those uh, undead at bay. I, I have real machine gun training on a real machine gun with made out of metal and bullets and real well, stuff. And good for you. And- I, I actually have I actually have training with real guns as well, but not machine guns. And I did once when I was very very young in Quebec. I was like seven years old or something like that, I fired a shotgun, knocked me on my ass. Oh, yeah. shoulder for I don't know how long. Yeah, and uh, my I remember my uncle laughing himself silly, you know, uh, because I was, you know, <laughs> it's like, now you got to brace yourself because it's got quite the kick. <laughs> yeah. I'm okay. I'm okay. Wham. <laughs> that was long ago and far away. Yes, anyway, Mars. Mars, the helicopter, the drone, call it whatever you like. It did its third flight just yesterday. And I... And it I'm, delivered I'm, an Amazon package. It did. And I'm... I'm <laughs> it did. Or it's ready to whenever, the, whenever it's called on to do so. But it's really neat. Like, it's just... There's something about the idea that we've made a helicopter, granted a tiny helicopter, that can fly on another planet. And the pictures that came from it yesterday were like, you know, from 17, 18 feet in the air. And you can see the tracks from the rover below. And it's just like the coolest thing, you know, this this thing flying there. It flew, I believe it was for 80 seconds on its third trip. 
And it was uh, the furthest distance from the rover. It went something like 50 meters away from the rover. Um, yeah, so this, I don't know. I get like completely excited, insanely crazy excited whenever I read about, you know, what this, the fact that we've got this little tiny flying machine on another planet. It's not just rolling around on the ground. It's freaking flying. And I would love to see, I don't know when this is going to happen. I know that at some point something like this would happen. But it would be great to see something that can fly, you know, uh, much further, greater distances. And, you know, and then you could do the, you know, do the VR visual stuff of flying over the surface of another planet, you know, from one of these things that just, ah. And it can go into the caves and find out where the uh, Martians are actually sitting and waiting. They, that may be true. That may be true. Yeah, I, somehow I don't think so. But I, I'm, 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 I'm flippant about this, but I'm really excited about this too. I've, I've noticed there's not as much excitement about this as there was when we went to the moon and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I, I wish there was because a lot of things right now are really, really depressing. And to me, this is a nice piece of good news. I think part of the problem is that at the time that we went to the moon, okay, it was a technological uh, feat that was undeniable. Like, you know, I'm not trying to make light of, of uh, you know, the, the time that we live in or whatever, but it, there were only so many truly amazing things at the time. We are living in a world of magic right now. We get things on demand. Like it, when we went to the moon, if you wanted to order something, you know, first of all, you couldn't order it online. You could order it from a catalog. And six, eight weeks later, it would show up and then you'd go and get it somewhere. That's what the world was like at that time. Now you order something, it's on your doorstep the very next day. Or right now, I've got a grocery order that I'm going to push the button on as soon as we're done here, you know, when my kid comes home. And I'm going to push the button on this order. And within 120 minutes, it will be or less, you know, somebody will have gone and picked up all this stuff and delivered it to my front door so that I don't even have to leave the house. Um, by the way, thank you very much, people who go and do this, because I'm, you know, I, I take full advantage of it and I appreciate it. But we also live in a time where I can play any movie I want at any time. I can watch any series I want. I can listen to any song. I've got a speaker beside me here. I can ask to have any song played, you know, uh, out of millions. Um, yeah, but, 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 but watch out. Uh, I've also been reading some articles and I've already forgotten where they were. It's talking about how like Spotify and YouTube music have really affected the music industry not just in the way that artists are paid, but also in the nature of the music itself. You know, people are saying that Bohemian Rhapsody could never be done for a Spotify audience. People don't have that kind of patience. Oh, I've heard, so, I mean, I've heard this before, except for the fact that, you know, uh, I don't know if I'm a Spotify audience or whatever, but I will listen to songs like that. I'll listen to long. No, songs. no, but you'll listen to stuff you know, but will you have patience to listen to something you've never heard before? that takes as long to get going as Bohemian Rhapsody did. I, I see your point. I, I'm not sure that I'm that, uh, I'm not sure that I, I have quite a, such a negative picture of that being the case. I understand what you're saying, but of course we're also in a, in a time of auto-tune and so forth. But anyway, no, just to go back to the helicopter before we get too far away from that. I think because we have all these magical things at our disposal, we, we live in this world where literally anything seems to be possible. Um, I think the idea now that we've got a drone that's flying around, you know, I'll use your term, a drone that's flying around on another planet is just a matter of, well, yeah, it's just, you know, no big deal. It's just that it took a little longer to get there because, you know, you got to get all the way to Mars to make that happen. I think that that is one of the reasons that it doesn't spark the imagination quite as much. It's because we're un inundated with magical and amazing things constantly. I just, just to give you an aside, I was thinking recently about the idea that I don't seem to be getting deep into any particular topic these days. I follow so many topics and I have so many interests these days because for all the negative things that we might say about, you know, the world that we live in at the moment, um, it's just so fucking interesting. Like there are just so many 
interesting things in the world that you can't possibly see them all. You can't possibly experience, you know, even a tiniest fraction of everything that's out there. Not just everything that's out there, but everything that's out there accessible to you at a moment's notice. And I think that that's a problem because, you know, we don't work that way. We're not like AIs that can scour the internet and read every book, you know, over the course of a few hours. It takes us time to absorb information. It takes us time to do things. Hell, I've got my guitar lesson tonight and, uh, you know, and, uh, and uh, one of my two guitars sitting here beside me. And I don't spend anywhere near the time that I'd like practicing. Not because I couldn't find another two or three hours somewhere to do that, but because finding the two, three hours extra to practice a bit more would require me to ignore two or three hours of all the fascinating things that are sitting out there in the world. So, so I think that it's, it's yeah, one of those... Between, between you and me, it's also yeah. the payoff is less. You're not going to be the cool guy at the campfire anymore. With the, we're we're past that. Anyway, speaking of interesting things that are happening out there, my son is about to pull up into the driveway in a few minutes, so we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to wrap it up here. Despite the fact that there are still so many fucking interesting things in the world, and we haven't gotten anywhere near them yet. Okay, so we've got a continuation of a whole bunch of things we didn't cover today. So, listen, we always we've we got the next episode all, all rewritten. In fact, we, we, we have a bad habit. I, I don't know if you know this, but there's a whole bunch of topics that we say, oh, we'll revisit that next time. But so many more interesting things have happened since then that we totally forget about all the things we said we were going to revisit. So, well, I'm still I'm still fascinated. I mean, you know, Andrew Yang, I knew Andrew Yang, and I'm fascinated to see the hit job that the media in New York is doing. And it's not landing. And we'll talk about that next time. We will. All right. Take care out there. Stay safe. Oh, one last thing. And then I'm leaving. This is the last 15 seconds and I'm leaving. I get my first vaccine tonight. Oh, fantastic. Do we care which one? I really don't. I don't. Uh, I mean, I'm booked at, uh, I mean, I, I booked, I, I think they've got the Pfizer where I'm going. So, you know, okay. I don't care. Anyway, you'll, you'll, you'll tell us more in the next episode. That's right. Cheers. Good talking to you as always. See you later. Bye Marcel. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Marcel, after the show. If you like what Evan and I are doing here, there are many ways that you can help support the podcast. The most important and easiest of them all is just to tell your friends, family, dog, cat, goldfish, enemies. Just tell everybody about the podcast and have them listen as well. You can also review it on Anchor.fm or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you happen to listen to podcasts. If you have a blog, you can blog about it. If you have your own podcast, hey, that would be cool. If you have your own podcast, you could actually talk about our podcast in your podcast. If you're going to do that, by the way, you should let us know because, hey, we'd like to listen too. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.